thankful. Lord, not just for your sacrifice as we were reminded, but I'm thankful for your heart that loved us so much when we were unworthy that you would do something like dying on the cross when we don't deserve that. But I reminded this week of your great astounding love for us that you would send your son to the cross. Father, it is our honor to be able to lift and praise your name and sing about your goodness. We experience it in every single breath that we that we that we breathe, Father. We we, we know your goodness, Lord. We, we are alive by your grace and your mercy. Lord, I'm thankful for this time that we have to worship. I'm thankful for this time that we have to open your word. Be with us this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go ahead and grab a seat. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, real quick, though, I want to uh, celebrate and acknowledge Lakeshore Middle School football team is in the house with us today. Everybody give them a welcoming applause. Would y'all, would y'all mind standing real quick so we can see who you are? Great looking group of young men. Man, look at those. Thank you so much. If, if, now if just the coaches could stand real quick. I just want us to recognize real quick the men who put their time. And... Thank you. I don't know if you know this, but middle school football coaches don't get paid like at all, basically. Uh, and so that means that these are men who have decided to take time out of their lives, uh, not just for the game, uh, but for those boys. And boys, I hope you recognize that. I hope you recognize the sacrifice that these men make on a regular basis, uh, not just because they love football, because they love you. And they, they hope for a great future for you. And they put that time in. I hope you show great appreciation to them for doing that. I'm excited to have them here with us today. Uh, I was thinking about, I, I plan out my sermon calendar uh, a year in advance, so I'm planning out next year's sermon calendar already. So I, I didn't pick this passage for you guys, but I just thought we got a bunch of middle school boys, and it's going to talk about not telling dirty jokes and not being uh, unwise in your words and not saying dumb things and a bunch of stuff like that. So just know uh, that was the Holy Spirit that targeted Look, if you feel convicted, that's between you and Jesus that's not on me. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit decided our passage for today. Uh, and, and so Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere in a pew, somewhere around you. It says the story on the front cover. Uh, the only reason it says the story is that's, that's uh, we believe that the Bible is one big story about Jesus. And, and so the first, I think, eight pages or so of that kind of summarize that for you in color print. Uh, but in that Bible, we're on page 813, uh, if, if you're looking for where we're at. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. As you get there, there was an interesting thing. I referenced it when we looked at the Lord's Supper earlier. The aroma of Christ, the smell of Christ. And I was thinking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says that the gospel is the stench of death to those who don't believe, but the aroma of life to those who do. And, and I was thinking about how smells uh, trigger memories for us, right? Um, so I, I am, if, if you know me for very long, you know I am an avid advocate of bacon. Uh, I praise God that he allowed us to eat pork 
and that we get to have bacon. But one of the reasons is when I was a kid, we would go camping. And when we would go camping, my dad would wake up and he would cook bacon on the skillet. And that's the smell I would wake up to when my dad cooked breakfast. Uh, another smell that reminds me of my dad that maybe people, most people don't like is, anybody know what a paper mill smells like? You drive by a paper mill and you're like, oh man, what does that smell? My dad worked at paper mills my entire life. So you may find that to be not a great smell, but I like it. Uh, I'm not saying I like I want to live next to it, but, but it reminds me of getting in my dad's truck. And when I would get in my dad's truck, it would smell like a paper mill. And I remember somebody telling my dad how stinky paper mills are, and he said, they smell like money to me. Um, <laughs> smells trigger memories. I have to imagine the locker room of a middle school boys football team may not be the best smelling place in the world, right? But here's what I bet is years from now, that smell may trigger great memories of your days together. People are all into essential oils these days and those smells that they can create and things that they can do. Uh, one of my friend's moms, me and my friend, had uh, gotten in trouble hanging out with some people we shouldn't have been hanging out with and some things that happened that shouldn't have happened and we were involved and kind of near it. And, and, and she said to us, if you play with the dogs, you'll end up smelling like one. It's kind of the idea of what we get of this idea of the aroma of, of Christ in our text. Now, as we get into this latter part of the book of Ephesians, we've been walking slowly through the book of Ephesians. We, we can't forget that the second half is kind of the more practical application piece of this letter that Paul has written. Paul is in jail uh, because he had been accused of some things that he didn't do. He had been accused of bringing uh, some, uh, some non-Jewish people into the temple and he had been put in jail, but God is using him in that ministry, and he writes this letter to the Ephesians. And in the first three chapters, it's this really deep, rich, just, I mean, just unbelievably rich theological piece where we see some incredible things about the riches of God's mercy and how through his blood he redeems us, he adopts us, he saves us. And it's a lot about who we are in Christ. And so, when we get into these real practical pieces, there's a mistake that we can make that will not lead to good things. When you see a list of behavioral instructions in the Bible, if you just assume that that means this is stuff I'm supposed to do, and here's the list of stuff I'm not supposed to do, what you'll do on accident is water down the gospel to something that's far less than what it's meant to be. And so I'm going to use some big words for you here in just a second. So it, indicative. Everybody say indicative. And indicative is a grammar term, meaning this is something about who you are, the identity, right? And so in those first three chapters, the Apostle Paul gives us some indicatives. He talks about who we are. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We are adopted into his family. We are children of God now. We are his masterpieces, his poema in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead, we were children of disobedience, we were sons of wrath, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are made alive in Christ, masterpieces of God's own making for his own glory. And and we've got to, we have to find our identity in the indicatives of the gospel. Are you tracking with me? That, that we have to first understand who we are 
before we can understand what we're supposed to do. See, the imperative, everybody say imperative. Imperative means an instruction on something you're being commanded to do. And in this passage today, there are more imperatives than there are indicatives. But we must understand that the imperatives without the indicative are a waste of our time. And they will not lead to the joy that God promises in the gospel. I think this is one of the reasons people reject Christianity so often is one of two reasons. Now, there are a lot of reasons people reject Christianity, but I would say the primary two reasons are either one, they only have heard about the imperatives and they just hear that this is a thing, a list of some things I'm supposed to do and some things I'm not supposed to do, and they don't really care to subject themselves to some sort of list of what somebody else thinks they need to do. And I get that. I had that problem. But then I think the other one is they hear the indicative, and they hear that we're supposed to be redeemed, children of God, light in the world, adopted by Christ, the reconciling force of Jesus Christ, the ambassadors of ministry, and they don't see the imperatives played out. So they hear about the indicatives that we're supposed to be these redeemed people that help bring redemption to the world, but when they watch those who say indicative, they don't see the imperative. They don't line up. So here's what you've got to get today. There is a strong, rich indicative of who we are as children of God. And that by necessity plays out in imperatives of who that what that looks like and who we are. And so if you would stand with me as we read God's word together. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 21. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. <clears throat> but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may, you may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, I, uh, I come before you overwhelmed by just how much is in this text and the task of preaching it. Lord, I pray that as we look at this, you would awake any sleepers in here, that we would see the dead come to life. But Lord, for those of us that, that are your children but aren't living it out, Lord, I pray that you would give us conviction but not guilt. Lord, that you would show us more about you and how wonderful you are. Lord, that we would not walk out of here feeling like we've got a longer list of things we're supposed to do and not do, but, but that we've got a great Lord. A great Lord that should be the pursuit of our lives for our own joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When, when we are made new in Christ, which is what the first three chapters really talk about, when we are made new in Christ, in other words, spiritually, we are dead. But through the gospel, through the riches of the mercy and grace of God Almighty, through the death of Jesus Christ, His Son, we are made new. New creations, Paul says it to the Corinthians. When we are made new in Christ, that newness is lived out in real, everyday life change. You... You cannot divorce the two ideas, but there has to be an understanding of what their roles are. The identity that the gospel gives us is what makes us children of God, is what adopts us into his family, is what gives us a heavenly father, is what gives us a heavenly hope. It's not our works. Listen, you, you, could, you could try your best to be the best person for the rest of your life, but if it's not in pursuit of a relationship with Jesus Christ, it will leave you just as empty as your friends that chase all the things the world has to offer. What, what we must understand is that any pursuit other than Jesus Christ will fall short. Whether that pursuit be religiosity and just being a really good person, or whether that pursuit being seeing what all the world has to offer for us and what we could gain from all the fun things that we're told we should participate in. So as we look at last week, Pastor Joe preached and he cheated into my text for this week. So I'm going to cheat back into his a little bit. And so go to the last verse of chapter 4. And it says, start there and go to the second verse of chapter 5 we see we're called to be imitators of God and what does that mean <clears throat> be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you therefore 
be imitators. That's an imperative. It's, it means to mimic. Be imitators, be mimickers of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to spend a little bit of time, more time here in the first four verses than the end because I want you to get the indicative is more important than the imperative. But the imperative can't be ignored. Also in that passage from last week in chapter 4, it talked about what the gospel does. And, and it said, if you look at verses 25 through 28, Therefore, having put away falsehood, put away lying, deceitfulness, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. But I love this right here, starting in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. This idea, let the thief no longer steal, but look at how it transforms. Look how the gospel transforms the thief. It says, let the thief no longer take for himself with his hands, but now let him use his hands to work hard and then be generous and give. That's a transformation that the gospel brings into our lives. He, he takes who we are and he makes us his children. And so, what does it look like to be an imitator of God in this imperative we're given in verse 1 of chapter 5? Well, in the last verse of 4, we see we are to be kind to one another. We're to be tender-hearted. We are to be forgiving to one another. Keep on in, in verses 1 and 2, and we're to walk. That when, when, when Paul uses the word walk, he means live. Like, this is how you do your life. Right? He's not talking about just walk. He's like, your walk. Your walk of life. Walk in love. Walk in selflessness. Walk like Jesus. Smell like Jesus. If you play with dogs, you'll end up smelling like one. A lot of who you end up being is largely dependent on who you spend your time with. If you constantly hang out with people who are not loving, who are not kind, who are not forgiving, who are not children of God, chances are, more often than not, they'll end up influencing you towards them more than you do towards you, no matter how good your intentions were. Now, it doesn't mean we should not be friends with people who don't walk with God, how else would they know about God? But I do think there is a primary intimacy and purpose in our lives of having people around us that help us smell like Jesus. That smell like Jesus idea, it really goes back to an Old Testament reference about sacrifices. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, I think it's 16 times it talks about an aroma of sacrifice being pleasing to God. I don't think it's just that he's saying it smells good. If you look throughout the Bible, God consistently is more interested in our hearts, which is why he tells in Psalm 50, I mean, I, I don't need your sacrifices. I need your heart. And so the imperative we're given is a tall 
order to be imitators of God. But as we continue on in verses 2 through 4, we see that how that identity informs our obedience. As beloved children, it calls us. It, it, my mom, when we would leave the house, <coughs> would always tell us, remember who you are. When I was real little, I had no idea what she was talking about. Like, I didn't know if she thought I was going to get amnesia when I left the house and just forget where I lived and what my name was. I really didn't, as a young child, I, I had no idea what she meant, remember who you are. And I thought, well, that's not really the best advice. I can remember who I am and do a lot of dumb stuff. But then it hit me later in life, remembering who I am, remembering who my parents have raised me to be. With my kids, we do what we call the Stuart core values. And we always ask them to recite them when they do something good and when they do something bad. And so I'll say, hey, what are the Stuart core values? And they'll say respect, integrity, self-control, and joyfulness. Because we've decided to teach them that that's who they are. As stewards, as, as part of our family, that's what it means to be a steward. It means to have respect, integrity, self-control, and joyfulness. But just like we've been talking about how the indicative matters more than the imperative, I'll always then ask them, so why do we have the Stuart core values? And they'll say, for God's glory and our joy. Here's what I want my kids to get when I'm doing that. Is that yes, there are some imperatives. There are some lists of some things we should avoid and things we should do. But they're for our joy. Listen, what if, what if life is far simpler than we've made it? What if life is not about all these things that everybody tells us to chase, yet it seems like the ones who get it keep chasing and they can't seem to find the end of the rainbow? What if life isn't about the things that people tell us it is? What if it really is about just figuring out who we are, our indicative? What if it's really about figuring out who God makes us and then walking in that in simplicity that God would bring joy. Now, I said simple, not easy. Simple and easy are not the same thing. Simple means it's not complicated. Simple means the walk that Jesus has prescribed for us as his children is not a complicated walk. There's not a lot of random weird steps. When you're running drills as a football team, some routes are real simple. Some routes are a little more complicated. Trick plays require a lot more moving parts and timing has to be perfect, right? But sometimes it's just a simple go route. And I think when we read the Word of God, we see that God has given us a very simple route to run. And it's pursuing a relationship with Him over everything else. Here's where we mess up, I think. We forget that over everything else part. And we pursue a relationship with God as like one aspect. Like maybe the Sunday part of our week. Or the five minutes in the morning of our devotional. Or the five minutes of prayer before we go to sleep. Or the blessing before we eat a meal. Or the Lord's Prayer we pray together at some point. Or like we have this idea of like Christ in our life is this segmented little addition to some parts of our life. But I think the route he has for us to run is this very simple 
him before everything else route. As a matter of fact, that's what he says. He says in Matthew chapter 6, look, don't worry about all the things that everybody else worries about. But pursue first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest of the stuff. Verses 2 through 4. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. <clears throat> and then the imperatives really start here. But sexual immorality and all, all impurity or covetousness, or your translation may say greed, must eat, not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So our identity comes from the fact that Christ has been our sacrifice, but that should play out in a pursuit of purity. Now, this is where it starts to get muddled, and we start to think that this is where it gets real prude, and just here's the list of things we're supposed to do and not do. But what I don't want you to miss is that you should follow this list, and not just because God told you to. Yes, God told you to is sufficient, but I want, I want more for you than that. You should follow this list because it's the list that God has designed for you to find joy. So here's what he's saying. Sexual immorality was a pretty big deal in Ephesus. There was a temple there where all sorts of crazy things happened, even in the name of a false religion. But honestly, it's really not all that different from the sexual immorality we see in our world today. Let's be honest. And again, I didn't plan this when you were here, for you to be here, football team. But sexual immorality is harder to avoid today than maybe any other time in history. I mean, it's more readily available in any form you could possibly imagine, literally at your fingertips. It's, it's, it's anywhere you want. It's, it's places you don't want. You don't even have to be looking for it, for it to find you. That's no excuse for what God has for us. And here's what God's saying is, look, I've created sex. And I've created it as a beautiful and wonderful thing. It's, it's one of the most amazing things that God created. But there, the world and the enemy is going to do everything it can to twist it and make it something that it's not. And here, here's what I can promise you. If you pursue it the way that the world sells it, it'll be fun for a moment. But it'll lead to emptiness and destruction. If you'll pursue it the way that God has designed it, it'll be joy-giving, life-giving, and beautiful, and worshipful. And, and listen to me, and I, I mean this not just as a preacher, I'm telling you, and better than anything this world has to offer in that world. So God is not just trying to keep you from fun. He's got an actual plan for you, a plan that, that ends in joy, a plan that ends in worship. And he says, listen, you've been redeemed. You've been adopted. You've been bought with my blood. Man, don't run back to these things. 
Don't run back to these things that the world has, but run to the things that I have for you. He goes on beyond that even to the way that we talk, the way that we joke, the things that we laugh about, the things that we have in our conversations, the way that we look at people, the way we laugh at people. And he says, look, all those things are like turning around from the treasure. Like God is saying that the kingdom of God is like treasure in a field that, that's worth so much that a guy stumbles upon it and when he finds it, he realizes the value of it is more than everything he owns. And so he turns around, he goes and sells everything he owns just to buy that little bit of plot of land where that treasure was so that he could have that because he recognized how much more valuable that was. See, the kingdom of God in your life, God's rule, God's joy, God's forgiveness, God's redemption played out in your life is far more joy-giving, life-giving, and valuable than anything the world has to offer. And so what Paul is saying here is you've been redeemed. You've been given the treasure in the field. You've been given the field. Why would you turn around and go back to the rags that you had to sell? Why would you turn around and go back to the stuff that you had when you've got treasure right here? But the thing is, the world will always be whispering against it. If you keep going, you'll see something fascinating in verse 4. That the, 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 the antidote... The solution to idolatry and lust and greed is thankfulness. Thankfulness. Why would it be thankfulness? Sometimes in life, it's hard to be thankful. Sometimes things in life are not good. And, and being thankful may be something that's hard to come by. I think if we can turn our eyes to the prize, to the treasure of Jesus Christ, then like Paul, we can say, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, when Paul says that in Philippians 4.13, what he's talking about is he's talking about the fact that he's in jail and the Philippians have sent him some money and he wants them to know he's grateful that they sent him some money, but that he needed, he needed them to know even though they sent money, they shouldn't worry about him because he says, I have found in verses 11 and 12, he says, I have found the secret to being content in all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. See, what Paul is saying in Philippians 4.13 is that I found the treasure in the field. And so it doesn't really matter what's going on around me. I can always be thankful for what God has given me and who God has made me because it's far more valuable. As a matter of fact, he says the sufferings of this present world don't even compare to the joy that's coming with the Lord. Thankfulness is the antidote. Look at verses 5 through 7. For you may be sure of this, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness or greedy, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Again, this idea, if you play with the dogs, you'll end up smelling like them. The world will always, always be whispering a different story about a different treasure to you. Is this not what the enemy did with Adam and Eve? 
Adam and Eve had everything, man. And the devil came and, and pointed to the one thing they weren't allowed to have and said, but I mean, look at that. I mean, it looks good to eat, doesn't it? The world will always be whispering that lie that what they have to offer is better than what, the, what God has. And so in verse 8, for at one time we see again our identity, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's, that's the idea of remember who you are. Children of God, remember who you are. You are adopted, redeemed, loved, forgiven. You've been given the light of the Holy Spirit. Walk in that light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It's a lot easier with the lights on to know where you are. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Every one of us wrestle with what Paul calls in Ephesians chapter 4, the old man or the old flesh. We all, as children of God, if you are one, have our eyes on the treasure, but we keep getting pulled back to the rags that we came from. When we can expose that to the light, there's a power that comes. When we keep sin in the dark, it grows in its control over us. But if we can just be bold enough to bring it to the light, I mean, imagine trying to fight an opponent in the dark. Wouldn't you much rather have the lights on and be able to see what's going on? But what happens is the devil convinces us, now you can handle this on your own. You can just stop doing that. Like, we'll just, well, we're going to do better. Starting now. Well, maybe tomorrow. Flip the lights on. Man, find somebody that you can tell and that can walk that with you. In Galatians chapter 6, it says when somebody has a burden that's too heavy to carry, that followers of Christ should come alongside them and help carry that burden. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. But they can't help you carry that burden if they don't know what it is. If you don't bring that out into the light, then no one can help you. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look at the last few verses, verses 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are, are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This look carefully then how you walk. The days are evil. Walk as the wise, not as the unwise. Remembering who you are means, listen, you can't just go about your day like normal. You can't run on autopilot. What you've got to get is autopilot runs the wrong direction. 
Your autopilot is not set to the right destination. And so every day when it says don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, I looked at it and, and I'm convinced that what it means is this. is it's like, Just like if you wanted to stay drunk, you got to keep drinking. In that same way, if you want to stay led by the Holy Spirit, you got to keep drinking from that well. It's not that the Holy Spirit comes in and out of us, but that we bring ourselves closer to the mouth of God as He speaks, as we practice spiritual disciplines of daily time in His Word, daily time in prayer, confessing our sins and bringing those things that are in the dark out into the light, being in church, not just sitting in a pew. I mean like really being in church. Like this, you got to get, this doesn't count. Like what we're doing right now is wonderful and great and it's a big part of what God has designed. But if this is the end of your biblical community journey this week, you have missed out. I mean, really be in the church, walking life with people, carrying each other's burdens, pursuing joy together, helping each other course correct as you see one another walk off the path and not walk in the light, but walk in the darkness, shining the light on your brother and sister and carrying that burden as you walk with them. These things, Walk intentionally, live intentionally, live on purpose. It's a simple route, but you won't get there on autopilot. Every day, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily. <coughs> daily. We keep pursuing him, giving thanks always. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is one of the things we've been emphasizing more here lately. This is the same thing taught in Colossians chapter 3. That when we sing songs together, it's not about whether it was the style of music you like or not. If you're caught up on whether it's the style of music you like or not, you have missed what we're doing. When we sing songs, if you think, well, I'm not, God didn't gift me with the ability to sing. He may not have gifted you with the ability, but he gave you the command. Part of how we do this together is singing together, not just, listen, when people come up here and they play instruments and they've got microphones, that's to lead us to sing. Not for us just to watch them. The Bible teaches us there's something about us singing to one another the truth of God. There's something about that that helps us walk in the light. Following Jesus in obedience is not merely just submission. Begrudging. All right, I'll do it. Following Jesus is recognizing the treasure in the field and running after the joy that you can have in the Lord that nothing else offers. And part of that for you may mean you need to listen to the psalmist in Psalm 46.10 and be still. That be still in Psalm 46.10 could be translated, stop trying so hard. Cease striving is how it could be literally translated out of the Hebrew. And know he's God, not you. And your life Simply, it's just to follow him and find your joy in him. And the way that he's designed it so great, when we find our joy in him, 
It'll be greater joy than the world has to offer, and it'll glorify Him more than anything you could do. The best way to glorify God is to find your joy in Him. It's not complicated, but it's also not easy. So stop chasing the next fix. Stop chasing the next thing that you think is going to give that to you. Stop chasing all the things the world whispers in the darkness and tells you that these are the things that will give you joy. I'm not going to lie, they'll be fun for a moment. But man, that moment passes quick. And at the end, it's just going to leave emptiness. And so my, my encouragement, my challenge, my hope for you is that you could find thankfulness in who God is and what he's got for you. Thankfulness in the treasure in the field. Thankfulness in the joy of the Lord. Thankfulness in recognizing that he's given you a list of things that you need to avoid. Not because he doesn't want you to have fun, because he wants better for you. Recognize that the world is going to make it in such a way that it won't seem better at first sometimes. But just trust that he's smarter than you. That doesn't seem like that real hard of a thing to do, right? I mean, you got to admit, God's probably smarter than you, right? I mean, I think we can all intellectually attest to the fact that he's smarter than you. But it's hard to live that out, isn't it? And so let's pray that God would continue to move in our lives. God, as we respond to your word, my prayer is that you would Lord, you would expose some things into the light so that we could get rid of them. Lord, that we would stop trying so hard to do life on our own and make it what we want it to be. Lord, that we would recognize and trust that you really are smarter than us. Lord, for any that are here this morning that, that are still dead in their trespasses, but I pray that they would come awake. Lord, that you would awaken their hearts. Lord, for those of us that recognize that we are your children, Lord, that we would walk that way. We would watch our walk. We would walk with wisdom, Lord, that when we tell people the indicative of who we are, it would be matched by living out the imperatives and people would see us finding joy in a way that the world doesn't have to offer and they would fall more in love with you. Lord, that each of us this morning you would increase our awareness and affection of you and out of that affection, out of that awareness you would increase obedience in Jesus wonderful name I pray amen what we're going to do now is take a time to respond to God's word so they're going to sing, they're going to lead us in singing so I'd encourage you to sing with them I'll be down here if you got questions or you want to know more about what it means to to have that indicative be true of you that you could be a child of God I'd love to talk to you about that I'd love to pray pray with you about that if you've got sin that you need to bring into the light I'm here for that as well if you want or grab somebody else it doesn't have to be me I, I I'm not the only one that can do that grab somebody come pray at the stairs with them together come if you just if you don't even know who could pray with you and you just wanted to come pray at the stairs and then I would encourage somebody to come pray with you and then follow up after the service so that we could keep doing life together the way that God designed it to be stand with me let's respond to God's word and obedience the way that he's called us to step boldly out if God's called you to